Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. In the early church, we read in Acts chapter 6, I want to read you just a few verses that explain what a deacon is and how it all begins. See, it was, it was ordained by God that this should be, and it, it, it began in the early church. So in Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 7, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose murmurings of the Galatians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. Then the twelve disciples uh, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we, we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually in prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Portrus, and Nicodor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed and laid their hands on them, and, uh, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied, in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. See, where we're obedient to God's word and obedient to his commands, God's word spreads. And that's what we want to do here at Bethel Baptist Church. We put God's word first and foremost and let God lead us and guide us in the way to have to, to go. So the, uh, at this time, I have asked uh, Brother Aaron McCullough to come. And he will do the charge or the challenge to the deacons and their wives. And then after that, Brother Chatham, if you would come and do the challenge to the church. And then after that, we'll, we'll do the laying on of hands. Good morning. Good morning. I appreciate all of you putting forth the effort to come for the sole express purpose of hearing me this morning. <laughs> Sarcasm is one of my spiritual gifts, by the way. <laughs> Amen. 
Uh, I'm glad to be here to be able to help you. Uh, I'll not reread what Kenny, Brother Kenny has read in the way of scripture, uh, but I will uh, take you or tell you, you can just mark this. I'm going to go read one verse of this, but in 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1, you sometime you can read verse 13, but I want to uh, point out the word. I'm going to read the eighth verse for a reason. The first verse in the eighth verse said, likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, and it goes on. But in, I'll come back to that in a few moments, but to point out that word, likewise, with that. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you this morning, in the next few fleeting moments, God, to speak through me, God, to anoint me to do, Lord, what you've called me to do, to preach this blessed gospel. Lord, to be able to bring a word of encouragement to these deacons, Lord, that are being ordained to their wives, Lord, who will be standing with them, uh, God, their families, and Lord, to this church, Lord. Help me to explain what their role is, Lord. And God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, we have gathered here today for the express purpose of uh, ordaining these candidates uh, for deaconship. Uh, into the active ministry of a deacon. Now, before I delve deeply, and I'm not going to go too deeply, because I got to hit it, get it, and quit it, which means you got to listen fast, because I got another preacher coming by me, behind me, so I got to go quickly. But uh, if you go, every Southern Baptist church is a what they call an autonomous church, which means it's self-governing. And the deacons of this church, along with the deacons of any other Baptist church, will operate in a manner that's consistent with what that church so desires of their deacons. And that's okay. And it's different in each church of how those deacons function and, and act. Now, I have 54 Southern Baptist churches in the Troop Baptist Association, of which I'm a part of. All 54 of them, the deacons, or they work just a little bit differently in each church. And some of them don't work at all. Amen. I thought I'd throw that in there. But they will function the way that it's all right with you. But I want to start at the end and then go back today to the beginning. Uh, now, in 1 Timothy 3.13, says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I want to emphasize that word well. They that use the office of a deacon well. It's not every deacon that I've encountered that uses it well, their office. It's not every pastor I've encountered who uses that office well. It's not every singer I've encountered or teacher or any other thing you want to say that uses that office well. So our, our focus today to, should be as we're coming out of the chute here, make your minds up, guys. You're going to use the office well. Amen. The word deacon uh, means a servant. It comes from the word diakonos out of the Greek. Uh, but it also carries the meaning, if you want to put a cowboy meaning to it, of when they were moving a herd, you would have some of the riders would, would ride the point. That would be pointing the way. That would be where you, your pastor falls in. And then you would have some on the side keeping the herd together. But then you have those in the very back 
who were eating all the dust that the cattle were kicking up. And they were called riding drag, is what that was called. And their sole purpose was to catch any stray that dropped back, lagged out, or, or, or got off in the bush or whatever. They were there eating that dust, and they were on the wrong end of the cows. Amen. Some of y'all is going to go no further than that. Putting up with all of that. But their sole purpose was to reunite the strays back with the herd. That's kind of the role of a deacon right there. But anyway, let me hurriedly go. If you're going to use the office of a deacon well, you've got to know what the office of a deacon is. And I believe a lot don't because they don't know what the office is all about. There's two views of the deacon that I want to talk about for a second. There's the historical view of a deacon, and there's the biblical view of a deacon. The historical role is that the men are elected and they become a board of directors. Now, I know of a church where different deacons are automatically the head of every committee. I know of churches where the deacons are the nominating committee. I know it where they are the pastor search committee or the finance committee or the personnel committee. I even heard of one pastor who went to a new church, went to go into a deacon's meeting, the very first one, had his Bible in his hand. One of the deacons looked at him and said, Pastor, why are you bringing your Bible into the deacon's meeting? He said, well, I just thought it would be a pretty good thing to do. And he, the deacon held up a, a copy of the church bylaws, and he said, Preacher, this is the book we go by in here, not that one. Boy, ain't that sad? That's sad. But historically... Uh, I've seen some deacons meeting, been in them. Been some pretty good building and grounds committee meeting too. But wasn't a deacons meeting. But anyway, moving on. That's the historical role. But what is the biblical role? Now there's several things you got to understand about the biblical role. Number one, it was a role that was birthed out of conflict. Bible says that the Grecians, widows, thought that they were being neglected in the daily serving of the bread. So, can you believe that there was a murmuring and an uproar in the very first church? Somebody help me. Amen. It's a role that's birthed out of conflict. The first church was about to split. So, they had to have somebody to deal with this. Now, I'll get to that in a second. But there's an old joke that says, what do you have when you have two Baptists in a room together? What you have is three different opinions. <laughs> Amen. Uh, the problem with the Grecians, they felt they were being neglected, so there had to be some peacemakers. And this is where the deacons came in to be the peacemakers in the church. You guys don't think you're getting a promotion today. You're getting a demotion. You're going to become the servants of these people. You're going to become the peacemakers in this church. Second thing about this office, it did not, the conflict did not arise to the level that necessitated the disciples' personal attention. In Acts 6-2, then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. I want you guys to know something. Not everything that comes up in this church would rise to the level of claiming your pastor's attention. I'm telling you all today, if you can handle it, make it go away, and run interference for him, do that. 
Now, church, y'all need to say amen right there. Amen. You are the intermediaries. But number three, it's an office that's based upon the characteristics of past performance or demonstration of your Christianity. These folks are not ordaining you today because of something they think you're going to do in the future. They're ordaining you because they have seen something in you already that they think rises to the level to be in that peacemaker, to be in the intercessor for your pastor of being what this church needs to make this church become all of what God wants it to be. But number four, deacons are called by the church. This is one of the only offices I know of in the Bible where it's instructed for the church to call them. A preacher, God calls a preacher. But with the deacons, they said, you look out among you seven men full of the Holy Ghost. Good report that we can appoint over this business. What business? Waiting tables. Amen. You understand that, don't you? Amen. You can, she, she manages in the restaurant. You can have the best food and the best building around, but Lord, if your wait staff is messing up, you're going out of business soon, ain't you? We need good waiters right here. Now that needed an amen, church. Amen. <clears throat> Number five, it's an office of servanthood rather than prestige. Now, deaconship is close kin uh, to being on a cruise ship or a working fishing vessel. There's a big difference in the two. Because on the cruise ship, you get to sit on the Aloha deck and uh, you get folks catering to your every whim. And you get to sit out there with them little glasses with them little umbrellas out of it. Oh, wait a minute. We Baptists. We don't do that. And that you get out to sit out there with some sweet tea. And everybody waits. So that's a cruise ship. But I'm telling you what. You get on a working fishing vessel and things are totally different. There's something expected of you. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. You're not getting on a cruise ship today with this deaconship thing. You're becoming the wait staff. You're going to do the work of this church to make sure every need is met. And it's not prestige. If you think you're getting a promotion, you're going to be disillusioned. But number six, it's an office that, that accompanies the pastor or complements the, the pastor's office. The role of the deacon is not to be the pastor. Now that needed another amen. The role of the deacon is not to be the pastor. And brother, the role of the pastor is not to be the deacon. It's two separate roles. He's the head of the church under God. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've learned that anything in nature has got two heads is a freak. Amen. I just leave it at that. But your role is to partner with the pastor. Amen. And it's an office. Now, I, 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 you know, I'm going to get you to get this right quick. The Bible says that when them deacons began to deke, they chose them and they began to deke. And said, for this cause, many of the pastors, many of the preachers got right with God when a deacon went to doing his job. 
That, that's good, ain't it? Amen. Brother Kenny ain't doing right. Y'all just do y'all's job better. And amen. God will get a hold of him and he'll do right. Amen. Number seven. Or verse 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and great company of the priests were obedient to the faith because of the deacon doing his job. Now, I'm just getting out of my introduction, and my time is almost gone. So i got to give this to you quick. All right. Thank you. Amen. I, you know I loved him before he even, before he even said that. But you'll find the, the, where it says likewise over in Timothy. It gives all of the qualifications of a pastor. And then that verse 8 starts with that one little conjunction where it says likewise. What does that mean? It means with, in addition to everything else that a pastor is quali- or charged to do or his job description Likewise, you do that, plus now I'm going to give you some more for you. What did he say? He said, number one, you must be grave, serious. I want you to know something today. Guys, this ministry that you're going into, you've got to be serious with it. The ministry of a deacon is serious business. And if you don't take it seriously, you will fail. This is the calling of a lifetime for you. And you don't turn it on and off like a light switch. You're this for the rest of your life after today. Number two, he says, don't be double-tongued. You cannot be double-tongued. And that means very simply in, in uh, uh, where am I at? Luthersville, Georgia, redneck English, you got to say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't come talking to somebody one way to their face and go to talking another way behind their back. Bible says in 8 Proverbs 18:21a, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Guys, you can talk something up or you can talk something down. You can speak life into it or you can speak death into it. Bible says I've set before you life and death. Choose life. Be positive. Be an encourager. Be a cheerleader of the Lord, of this pastor, of this church, of all that goes. You need to speak life into it. Amen. Need to take the word Cain out of your vocabulary, guys. Because all the word Cain is is the word can with a crutch hung on the end of it. Amen. Number three, not given to much wine or alcohol. And I'm just going to give you the Aaron version of that and hit it and go, and you can disagree with me if you want to. In Aaron's world, not much means none. Amen. Amen. You say, how do you get that? Define not much. Honey, not much for me is a dose of NyQuil. <laughs> Somebody help me. I can take a, dice and a dose of NyQuil and be drunk and cooter brown on the 4th of July. <laughs> Some of y'all, it might be three six-packs. I don't know. But you just don't do it at all and you don't have to worry about it. And I'm going to tell you what, I've seen church leaders out in restaurants having alcoholic beverages and I just shake my head. You know what they do? They ruin their testimony. You say, well, you're being judgmental. Okay, I'm being judgmental. Now just deal with it. Amen. Sets a bad example. Not greedy or filthy lucre. Money is not your driving cause, guys. 
My Bible tells me God's own, God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He owns the hills, the dirt on it, and all the minerals under it too. Money ain't your cause. You got to be, yeah, we all got to have good sense about us. But God's in charge of the money. What he orders, he'll pay for. Somebody help me. If you order it, he'll let you pay for it. Got to go right along. Number five, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. You know what that means? That means conducting yourself, guys, in such a way as a representative of God in this church that when you lay your head on your pillow at night, you can go to sleep and sleep good sleep. Number six, be the husband of one wife, ruling your children in your house well. Cut that any way you want to. It says what it means. It means what it says. Be the husband of one wife. Number seven, you're being ordained a deacon in a Southern Baptist church. Uphold the doctrine of the Southern Baptist Convention. And learn it. Know what it is. There's a little thing called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 edition, which delineates what the the doctrinal stand of the Southern Baptist Convention is. I think if I was going to be a leader in a Southern Baptist church, I'd know what the doctrine is. Learn it, guys. And be ready to go on a moment's notice. You never know when Brother Kenny's going to call you and say, Brother so-and-so is just in a wreck or somebody just died. or what? I mean, it may be 4 o'clock in the morning. Honey, get your glad rags and go. And ladies, y'all have him something ready to go in so he looks presentable when he gets there. Boy, that was sexist. All right, whatever. Uh, number nine, that teaches us to keep our prayer life in order. I'm going to tell you guys, if you ain't a praying, you're straying. Amen. Amen. I wish I had an hour, but I don't. Uh, number 10, keep your spiritual life in order. If you're not spiritual, you cannot, and I repeat, cannot lead people spiritually if you're not spiritual yourself. Amen. Number 11, tithe. Don't be a thief of God's money. Hello. Amen. You go rob God and then turn around to him and say, bless me. He's going to say, you give me that money back you just stole from me, I might. Well, Brother Aaron, I give my tithe. You don't give a tithe. You pay a tithe. You give an offering. Huh? A tithe is the rent you pay for the air you're breathing, for the life you live, the sunshine God gives you. You're just paying your rent when you pay the tithe. If you want to give God something, you've got to get above the tenth. Uh-oh. Huh? My wife and I have a little small rental business. We got about six, seven houses we rent out. I'm going to promise you something. I have never in my mind thought when one of my tenants comes and pays me the monthly rent check, I've never looked at her and said, I sure am glad they gave us this rent. No, I'm saying I'm glad they paid their rent. Now, if they want to give me something, they got to get above the monthly rent. Tithe. Amen. Thank you, Brother Chatham. Number 12, attend all the meetings. It's important. 13, guard your attitude. Number 14, defend and serve your pastor and your pastor's wife. Amen. I got to tell this, and I'm going to be through in three minutes. I, I, I'm out of time. But listen. <laughs> I, I, believe it or not, I, I was in conflict at the church. I was pastoring and had one guy who just hated me. 
And every time he got a chance, he'd run his mouth about me. And one day, he was running his mouth to another deacon in a little sound room in the back of the church. And I was up in the front of the church, and I liked what this deacon did. This guy was just running his mouth about me, and he got enough of it. And he looked at him, he said, he's standing right up there in the pulpit. He said, if you've got something to say, go say it to him. Don't say it to me. And if you're not going to say it to him, shut up. I don't want to hear it anymore. Defend your pastor and your pastor's wife. Defend and serve your fellow deacons that you're serving with. You're a team, guys. There are no lone rangers here. And even the lone ranger had Tonto. Amen. You're a team guy. And to you wives, honey, I'm going to tell you real quickly, you can either be the biggest blessing or the biggest hindrance to your husband's ministry. My time, my, my, my charge to y'all is simply this. Make your mind up you're going to be the biggest blessing. There's going to come times he's going to be heavy with burdens of this church and he can't tell you what's going on. Don't badger him. Just pray for him. Amen. There's going to come time, ladies, he's going to tell you something in confidence. Keep it in confidence. How do you keep it in confidence? You just don't tell nobody. That means even your best sister friend, you can't call her and say, well, I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell nobody. No, confidence means you just keep it to yourself and talk to God about it. Amen. Even so must the wives be grave, serious, not slanderous, gossips, not sober, not flighty, and faithful in all things. And brother pastor, that is my charge to your deacons. Amen. I wish I'd have said that. <laughs> That's the best charge I've ever heard, and I've been listening to them for 70, 70 years. Fact is, I think close to 70 years, I went to hear Miss Rhonda's Clyde Vaughn preach on John 3.16. It's an honor for me to come and send these men off into the gospel world. I hope that's been recorded. You might all take that and, and listen to it about once every year. And be sure that these things are living in your life. I want to say this. On June the 3rd, 1943, Jesus Christ came into my life. As I was praying that night, we, we had the altar back then, and we, we went what we call a mourner's bench. Wouldn't hurt if we had one today. Amen. And I was up there praying and asking God to save me. And I told him that I would do anything if he'd just save me. I'd be good. I made promises to the Lord how good I would be. But folks, he didn't save me till five minutes to 12 o'clock that night. If I could have done enough work to have gotten saved, I wouldn't have had to pray. 
I wouldn't have had to trust in the Lord Jesus. But I didn't, I didn't work, I didn't work to get saved. I have not worked to stay saved. But I'm telling you, there's been works in my life that Jesus Christ has lived because he lives in my heart. When I got saved, I was, I was born again. And I, I'm taking a little time with this because I want you to remember it. When I was praying and praying, I trusted the Lord Jesus and I was saved by what Christ has done and Christ alone. I've been saved since June the 3rd, 1943, not because of any works I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. He has not only been my Savior, he's been my shepherd. There's been times when he had to put the crook about my neck and pull me back from what I was doing. There's been times when he had to take the rod and put it to me and tell me, you misbehave, you missed the part. And all I'm saying is he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin. I want to share a few verses with you. And I believe me, I would like to take all day, but I'm not going to. In John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Perk up now, I'm going to come into my verse. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not seek God should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. But before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, then he is a rewarder, and those that diligently seek him. Church, I pray that you will diligently seek him. Sometimes we hear uh, health and wealth gospel and say you're not ever going to have any problems, you're going to all be rich. Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. But folks, that's not true. You're going to have some trouble along life's way. This is a faith chapter of the Bible, and in it they all had heartache, burdens. They had, some of them were crucified, some of them uh, uh, punished in different ways because of the faith they had in Jesus Christ. Now these all obtained the good report, but they suffered everything. When Noah started building the ark, he had never seen the raindrop. When Moses chose the substitute for the affliction of God's children rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, I say to you, church, you might do well 
to be careful not be living for the pleasure of this world, but for the glory of God. It makes a difference. So he, he will say, now we, where we're, we, we have this confidence, where we let me give you a verse. Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I wonder if he's talking about the witness of those in chapter 11. We're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. All of these witnesses suffered because they believed God. They stood for truth because they believed God. But then, after this, we're compassed with this great cloud of witnesses. I don't know whether it's chapter 11 saints or not. I believe it was. But I'm compassed with a cloud of witnesses, my children, my loved ones, my grandchildren. I'm compassed about my neighbors, my friends, my loved ones. I'm compassed about with them. Let us lay aside every weight. There are some things that are wrong, that are not wrong necessarily by themselves, but you take a weight and you take a weight and you carry a no harm thing, and finally it becomes a sin because you just kept you from doing what was right and good and holy. But sin we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight. And these sin that does so easily beset us. These sin that does so easily beset us. You know it's strange that there's a name missing from the book of uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews. If you look there, you'll find the name of Solomon is missing. Why was it? Because Solomon in his later life, because of strange women, built temples to strange gods. He didn't keep the faith. You say he wrote a book or two of the Bible, wrote three. But he's not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. So let us, let's be sober Let's keep the faith. And I say, church, keep the faith with these deacons. Embrace them. And, and, and Brother Aaron mentioned all these things that you're supposed to keep the peace for the church. And keep the, the harmony. May, may you live and walk in truth all the days of your life. But then when we're compassed with these witnesses, and we laid about every weight and these sin that does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience. With patience. Folks, we're not, we're not in a 100-yard dash. We're in a marathon. Yes, and listen, folks, deacons, it always won't be easy and peaceful. There'll be times when you have to stand for God and everybody's not going to agree with you. You need to go home and, and, and drop your feathers when you have to do the job that Brother Aaron's enumerated. Do it in love and, and joy and peace and harmony. Love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. But folks, when we're compassionate with these witnesses and we're running in a race, in a race you've got to stay in the, in the boundaries. You can't take shortcuts in the Christian race. And when... And the race is not how you start the, uh, the race, but it's how you finish. Right. I tell this sometimes. I was, I was born and raised on the Mill Village of Canton, Georgia. And when I was in my 10th, 11th grade, 10th grade, we moved to Marietta. And so we had a, we had a 
track meet. And I, being from Canton, my, my boys I drove up with was there in, on the field with me. Some of them tall, long, long-legged fellow. They could run. But folks, when it started the race, I ran out ahead of everybody. All those boys I grew up with, I was in front till about halfway of the race. <laughs> My breath started getting hot. I was breathing fire. And I did real good. I still, I was t the boys had caught up with me. But finally, I just fell over on the grass. I'd given out of steam. I'd run out of power. And folks, let me tell you, those boys I grew up with, they passed me by. They finished the race. Deacons, church, be sure you finish the race. It's not how you start. It's where you are when you cross the finish line. But then looking unto Jesus, the altar and finisher of our faith. I don't have the time or ability to deal with that, the altar and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and the reproach thereof. When Jesus was on the cross, they sheared, they jeered, they mocked, they made fun, they persecuted, they pulled his beard, they put the sword to his side, the nails to his hands, and on the cross they'd say, come down from the cross. Thank God he didn't come down from the cross. Thank God he stayed on the cross. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. My father can send 12 legions of angels, but he didn't. And folks, listen. Who for the joy that's set before him. If you missed my message, there's one thing I want you to remember. Who for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy of Jesus hanging on the cross? He despised the shame and the reproach thereof. The shame, the spitting, the mockery. But he endured it all. What was the joy that he had on the cross? I'm going to tell you the first thing I think the joy he had. You're shaking my time yet, that brother? Oh, okay. The first joy Jesus had on the cross Dying. Did you notice on the cross he didn't call God his father? He said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? I believe the first thing Jesus was joying in on the cross was he pleased the father. In Isaiah 53, he said it pleased God to bruise Jesus. What would please God for bruising Jesus on the cross? I'll tell you what I believe would please God. The world was destroyed in the flood because God was wanting to eradicate sin. Sin is so hateful, so despicable, so horrible, so hideous to God that it has to be paid for. On the cross, Jesus pleased the Father. He endured the shame and reproach thereof that he might take the sin of the whole world on his shoulder. I believe the next thing he did was he had joy because 
the little innocent lambs would not have to be slain anymore. Never another innocent lamb. All that sacrificed for sin, Jesus once for all and forever died for the sins of the whole world. Every little innocent lamb could be spared now. And Jesus on the cross put the priest out of business. The high priest, he'd go in once a year and make an offering for his own sin, and then he'd offer for the sins of the people. But on the cross, Jesus said, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. You can go to God directly. You don't have to have the Father. You don't have to have the, the Pope. You don't have to have the Bishop. The door is open, and God is welcoming you to come on in. But then I believe on the cross, Jesus Christ set the captives free. You remember I told you on June the 3rd, 1943, I come to Jesus Christ. But folks, I've not been a perfect boy since then. I've not always done exactly the right thing. You said you're a hypocrite. No, I'm just wrestling with the flesh. You say, well, what do you do? Well, at first, when I started off in the Christian life, I thought, boy, I won't, I won't do the sins other people are doing, and I'll just resist the devil, and I, I'll just go on with it. But, folks, I found out real soon I was no match for the devil. He, he, he ain't no good. He ain't no good, but he's a good devil. You say, well, well what do you do? Since I've grown a little bit older in, in, the, in the maturity, I learned to say, Jesus, there he is again. And say, devil, I'm God's property. I'm, I'm paid for, I'm redeemed, and you, you're not my boss anymore. Before Jesus hung on that cross, I was a sin servant. Now, the, the, a pig has a little curl in his tail. Now, that's not what makes it a pig. It's a pig because it's got the tail. He's got to tell. But folks, when I got saved, Jesus Christ came into my heart to live the Christian life through me. Church, this world needs to see Jesus in you and in me. When Jesus set the captives free, he took my sins and nailed them to his cross. He took the law and paid the full penalty, lived the perfect life, the sinless life, so he could bear the sin to the whole world. But then finally, folks, I believe Jesus Christ, for the joy that was set before him, would say, sinner boys can call on Jesus. The drunkard can call on Jesus. The harlot can call on Jesus. The poor will have the gospel preached unto them. If I could go to heaven and come back and just visit with God a little while, I'd like to be there the day after the resurrection when Jesus Christ came back to God the Father and said, Father, I've pleased you. It is finished. Telesiah, the sin debt is paid in full. Folks, if that ever hits your heart just like it would, you'll run 40 miles before you ever slow down. The poor, 
the poor have the gospel preached unto them. I'm thankful that on June the 3rd, 1943, Jesus visited the mill village in Canton, Georgia and took one poor little boy and wrote his name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Church, Jesus Christ lives in every believer. You can't confess that Jesus is the Christ but by the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is resident in every believer but he's not president. Be ye filled with the Holy Ghost. Be not drunk with wine, where as it says. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. I thank you for listening. The joy I have today is if I have been in heaven 50 years, these deacons can still be telling the story of Jesus. My grandson can still be telling the story. He's one of those, those being ordained. And I'm proud to be the grandfather of a deacon. It's my honor. Thank you, church, for letting me speak to you today. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Aaron, Papa, Dr. Chatham, whatever you want to call him. What a blessing. I think you've heard from that the, the challenge to the deacons. This is a humbling moment. It is an honor. I can tell you as a pastor, it's no promotion to be a pastor either. It's a very humbling time to understand that you are a servant of God, to serve and to love his people. It's one of the greatest blessings that you'll ever do in your life. And it is a lifetime calling, a lifetime commitment. As we've heard, church, our job is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has set things in, in order and things the way he'd have them to be done. He's, he's placed different people in different situations and deacons are a part of it. And our job, is, I hope, as we go into this next part of the ceremony, there's not anything magical about the laying on of hands. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're automatically going to, you know, just a glowing light around them that that's going to take place. The laying on of hands part of the ceremony means that you live as a church has nominated these deacons and you have voted to, to bring them on and, and you've seen some character, you've seen some gifts in them and, and you think they're worthy to serve in this ministry. And now we want to pray for them. We want to lay hands and pray for each one of them individually that God would use them mightily. 
and to show our support to them. Uh, if, if you ever want to show your support to me, the best way you can do it is get on your knees and pray for me. That's the best thing. No money, no cards, no nothing would ever amount to the amount of prayer that you could do for your pastor and do for your deacons. Because there's a lot of things that go on in the church, and Satan doesn't like it. We need your prayer. We need your support. And I'm not going to go on. It's 12 o'clock, but there's food out there, so y'all don't have to stand in line. It's at a restaurant. But I want to say this one last thing. With this church has seen qualities in you and the other deacons. And, and, it, and in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the qualities and gifts and, and all the rest. And all that's great. You can't do ministry without the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the qualities that are there. But 1 Corinthians 13 said all that's for nothing if you don't do it in love. If we don't love one another. So what this time comes is we're going to show our love and appreciation and our support for these men and their wives. And I, I, I wanted to bring them forward, the wives with them. My dad told me when I first went in ministry, boy, I was... I was worried about Robin. You know, what is Robin going to do? What about if God asked me to do this? And my dad just looked at me and said, Kenny, he didn't just call you. He called her too. Lanny, Cindy, he's called you both. Philip, Molly, he's called you both. Tiffany and Clint, he's called you both. We'll ordain the men. But the wives were right there alongside them to serve them, to encourage them, to lift them up. So now at this time, I want to ask each one of you to come and sit as couples uh, in the chairs before us. Uh, I know we're going a little over time, but that's okay. This is the most, a very important service. And I want to ask if it, all who ordain ministers or deacons, if you've already been ordained, you just like to line up down this side. You will, as Robin plays some songs, uh, you can just come by and lay hands on them, pray for them individually, uh, a quick prayer of support and, and for them. So if all of them are ordained, if you just line up this side here, uh, Brother Aaron and, and, and Papa, would you come and be with me first? And, and then all would follow after that. But as the, we are praying for these, I want to ask you as a church and others, this doesn't mean you're not important. This means you should be in prayer for these as well.